Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Welcome in the booth, everybody. Good to have you along with us on a Thursday. Back after a road game day and a missed show yesterday. We'll rehash Georgia Tech and ramp it up for Virginia coming into the Carrier Dome on the weekend. Good to have you in the booth with the program brought to you by Burdick Toyota and CH Insurance. I'd like to begin the show today to say that I also will consider an offer from the Golden State Warriors. Only if it's a max deal, though. Only if it's a max. I'm going to pass up a $36 million player option with the team I currently work for, but I will be open to other teams making $36 million offers, especially if it's the team on which we could go undefeated if I played for them. so I think a lot of people would take that. Yeah, just want to make it known. I don't think LeBron's going to have to worry about that. LeBron's going to go wherever he wants, and he's going to make that team instantly a contender, but Golden State's got a lot. From what I understand, Golden State would have to move a lot of pieces and do a lot of things, but if you had... LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and Steph Curry all on the same team, it would be hard to imagine them being chopped down by anybody. And uh, I think it'd be fun to watch, which also comes into the Super Bowl conversation. We're nearing the game on Sunday night, the Patriots and Eagles, and where you come down on this one, unless you have some sort of uh, long-standing rooting interest. You're from New England or Boston. You're from Philadelphia. You're rooting for or against the dynasty really is the way you have to look at it if or for or against chicken wing dip and the other things and the commercials that people do on uh, Super Bowl Sunday it is an American holiday as far as I'm concerned and uh, we're looking forward to it. we'll chat about that on tomorrow's show we'll get into it with uh, Andrew Siciliano of NFL Network also on tomorrow's program visit with our Virginia counterpart Dave Kane Cavaliers won their 13th in a row last night, beating Louisville by 10 in Charlottesville. Syracuse actually played them closer at uh, John Paul Jones Arena in a 68-61 loss. But uh, Virginia's rolling, best defense in the country. Coach Beheim told us this morning he feels like it's the best offensive team that Virginia has had in this nice run for Tony Bennett. And it might even be the best defensive team too. So uh, they are locked in and uh, should be a good crowd. And because of the way that Syracuse plays, which we're going to enumerate here in a little bit, a low-scoring, taut game in the Dome on Saturday. Hope to see you there. You can join us by phone really at any time, 315-437-7644, 4ESPN44, 437-7644, ESPN44, if you'd uh, like to Chime in with your questions and comments. We'll visit with Mike Waters of Syracuse.com coming up in a moment. Hear the word ugly and people want to talk about that. You know, my feelings on that. Like, if you want to call a basketball game ugly or not worth your time, I think most of it, you're not you're not going that good. You, you don't have better options. So let's let's face it. You're going to watch the game one way or the other. It was a close game throughout. The only game all season where Syracuse didn't have at least a 7 nothing run. They didn't lead at all. 
And uh, because of the slow, odd, head-slapping start in that game, it felt like a skunk from the beginning. But still, Syracuse plays the type of games that are interesting. We can come in here the next day and fill up an entire day's worth of radio airtime, parsing over the do's and don'ts and uh, the missteps and the inadequacies and all of that. Uh, But it has been proven over and over now this is a Syracuse team this year that plays extraordinary defense, pretty consistently good, solid defense, strong on the boards, not great, strong, adequate, plus, and struggles offensively. And it's happened over and over. Last night, shooting just 30% from the field, 5 of 18 from three-point range. The two guys you turn to for the most scoring punch, Tyus Battle and Frank Howard, combined to make 8 of 34 shots and four three-pointers. It was so tough on Battle, who played 39 minutes, did get to the line for nine free throws. The last night, I think, was the first time where I looked out on the floor and said, you know what? Battle looks spent to the point where he just doesn't have more to give. Now, he's come through in that situation before, I think, where he just makes big shots late in games. I'm not advocating, you know, I'm sure people want to, throw out and if you want to call in and some have done it on, on Twitter you can do that too at Matt Park one lineup changes aren't going to be the answer we'll get to what options there are and, and that type of thing there's nobody who's not playing that's better than who's playing bottom line period and I'm just, just going to tell you that but last night the confidence that Syracuse was going to make that shot or make the run went away in my mind as you looked out on the floor and saw look he is gassed He's seeing two defenders on every shot. He's going up with the intent of being fouled instead of kind of the confident rhythm that we've seen when uh, Tyus Battle is at his best. Uh, Frank Howard had some odd plays last night that uh, led in part to the 14 points off turnovers that Georgia Tech scored. And so the idea that the Orange were going to come back and everything's going to be all right just uh, didn't seem to hold water last night. Coach Beheim addressed the media following the game, beginning with this. You know, we just struggled on offense, uh, which we do. I think Georgia Tech played good defense. I think they made it hard for us. But, you know, we got some looks, some opportunities that we liked, but we just didn't convert. Um, you know, we just have, you know, we've struggled scoring, and this was a classic example of that. We've got to be able to score better. Uh, and, you know, again, you give Georgia Tech credit for their defense. They were good. Uh, but, you know, we just have to find a way to get something done on the offensive end. Our big guys have got to be more physical down low. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's that was really the, – the game was about offense, and we, we just did not get enough done down there. Syracuse's defense, one of the best in the country – Game in, game out, puts them in position to win. Georgia Tech scored 55 points, uh, made only a third of its shots, and that was a significant uptick as uh, the game went on. They had that period of of converting on the high-low pass uh, for layups. They got a couple of those, and and that sort of helped them out. They made just five three-pointers. Georgia Tech did not go off. The fact of the matter is that Syracuse didn't either. It was a slow offensive start where they just couldn't get into any type of groove. The fact that the offense was not strong is not newsworthy because it's 
that's been kind of a recurring theme over the, the course of the season. Georgia Tech's defense is pretty good, and, and the thought that I would follow up on Coach Beheim with is that I thought last night in particular Georgia Tech did a couple of things that were really good defensively. We've not seen other teams do it. Georgia Tech's defensive metrics are roughly the same as Syracuse's, maybe not quite as good, but they did a couple of things. First of all, they have Ben Lammers, Defensive Player of the Year in the conference last year, uh, intimidating presence, strong around the rim. When he gets his hand on the ball, he keeps it. He had 12 rebounds, two block shots. Abdullah Gay had five block shots in the game last night. Gay is 6'9", 6'10". He was out on the perimeter against Tyus Battle. We haven't seen another team do that this year, put him out there and, and stick a bigger player on Battle. O'Shea Brissett was defended by a much smaller player a good deal of the game and uh, was okay, but didn't seem to dominate in the way that you might hope in that area. The other thing that Georgia Tech does, they had so much pressure on the ball with Jose Alvarado, the point guard. Had a couple of people on Twitter say, well, Syracuse got out-hustled. No, I don't think so. Uh, Syracuse is not not a lazy team. Uh, They didn't put out subpar effort or get out-hustled. I think it can look that way when Jose Alvarado's at a completely different level. He's in the top couple of players in the ACC when it comes to just being that pest. He's a high-motor instigator, low-to-the-ground player. He's uh, six feet tall generously, and he gets up into you and makes stuff happen. He's been doing it all year long, not to just Syracuse. He had five assists and four steals in the game yesterday, and although he can't shoot that well, impacted the game and played for 40 minutes. So Lammers, Gay, Alvarado, and then one more, Josh Akogi is so tough physically that he finds a way to get where he wants to go on the floor offensively, He's an excellent rebounder for a player that's just 6'4 and makes things difficult defensively. So for where Syracuse was going into the game last night, they ran into a bad mix that uh, called to light what the Orange's shortcomings are. You would think that would happen with Virginia as well, struggling offense versus very good defense. We'll see that uh, coming up on Saturday, but of late the Orange have more than hung in there against a very good Virginia team. As for Coach Beheim's Extended comments on the offense. Uh, really, his point last night was, yes, they, they lost last night's game by offense, but it isn't a first-time thing. It, it was a bad offensive game. When you don't make shots and you got to drive, it becomes a hard game. You know, we don't run set plays to get shots because we can't make them. So we're trying to create some movement and create some drive situations. And uh, the one thing with their two big guys being down there, it's a little harder to get there. But that's the way we have to try to score for the most part. Well, we'll address that a little bit later. We'll get into that with Mike Waters as well. Scoring with the big fellas. You know, Orenze Onowaku's not coming through that door. Rick Jackson's not coming through that door. And right now, Pascal Chuko and Barama Sidibe are not built like that and that level of skill to uh, get the job done. They combined for five points, eight boards last night in uh, their performance against Georgia Tech. Mike Waters of Syracuse.com coming up. We'll sneak in a quick phone call with Stephen North Syracuse first. Hello, Steve. Yeah, um, my question's about the fatigue factor. Uh, we all know what uh, Jim Beheim's position is on that. There's enough timeouts and so on. Um, I was looking in the media guide. They keep adding years where they give the past st- Statistics, they, they, they go back uh, uh, two or three more years a year each, each time they uh, issue a new one. Uh, the earliest year they have is 80-81, and the leading 
Uh, guy in terms of minutes played was Eddie Moss with 32.8 minutes. Uh, the next year it was Eric Sandifer with 33.8. The next year it was Leo Robbins with 31.8. The young Jim Beheim uh, used uh, a number of players and didn't have his players playing uh, 38, 39, 40 minutes a game. And, of course, we, he's got limited options this year. I understand that. But I'm wondering if having these guys play 40 minutes a game, game after game after game, is is starting to be a factor now. Yeah, I think it, it's – like I said, last night was the first time where I felt like it's a factor, and I'll tell you why. And it's not because of just the accrual of minutes, Steve. Like O'Shea Brissett, he played 40 minutes last night. I didn't think he was impacted by fatigue or he's tired or it's too much to carry. I just felt it specifically in a brief period last night for Tyus Battle. I felt like maybe he doesn't have the lift. His shots are coming up short. It's a really isolated thing. I'm with Coach Bayheim in terms of the distribution of minutes, and I think there's a lot of factors. If you know, You're going back to the early 80s. First of all, he was a different coach then. I think he probably – was less stuck in his ways in terms of, you know, he's throwing more out there in terms of switching up the lineup. That's something over the course of his career, you know, going on 40 years, 40 is in his 42nd season now. He is going to stick with the same starters. He's going to probably tinker less or experiment less. This year's team, I, I just don't think there's any debate. Who else are you going to put in? They don't have any other options for right now. Um, I also do think there's something, when you hear Coach Beheim's comments on that, the change in eras does come into play. The, the game was played in a shorter real-time window back in Leo Routon's era, in you know, 82 and 83. The, the television timeouts weren't as long or as regimented in, in the same way as they are now. Um, I, I am mostly you know behind the idea that, yeah, these guys can play 38 to 40 minutes. They're that well conditioned and ready to go not every coach feels like that in fact most don't but I don't think it's really benefactor last night being an exception okay thank uh, you yep yeah, you bet now um and again only last night in the tail end in other words had they gotten any other sort of break where the the movement of the ball or the scoring or the shots were easier I think Tyus could have easily played 40 or you could have gotten him out for Braden Bayer or whatever what Beheim's talking about with the idea of playing Braden Bayer is he could potentially come up in this stretch here with two games, three days travel in between against two more teams that are really going to dog you. He felt like there was enough lead time going into Georgia Tech. Braden gives us a good. Braden's pretty good. I should have probably used him tonight the way we ended up playing. He's not bad. He can go in and play for us a few minutes here and there. If Braden Bayer plays, and I hope I'm wrong about this, he's a maintainer. He's going to go in. He's going to move the ball around. He's going to not turn it over. He's going to get in somebody's way defensively. That's what you're hoping for. Braden Bayer, he's an okay player. He's not a Division One scholarship player. He's not an improvement on Tyus Battle. He's not somebody that's going to be able to keep up what Tyus Battle and, uh, and Frank Howard are doing. But I do see him being able to go in there in the mix, hold up, what's going on, not hurt you. You know, is Braden Bayer as good as Frank Howard? No. Is he as explosive or capable? No. But Frank Howard's been helping the other team a little bit of late too, right? So if Bayer goes in and doesn't do that, it doesn't turn it over, then maybe you've got some uh, some valuable minutes from him. And uh, I know he's licking his chops 
to do it. We talked to him on the, the pregame show yesterday and enjoyed it. And uh, I would imagine that you will see Braden Bayer uh, maybe in the Louisville game, if not uh, the Virginia game as well. All right, overdue for the timeout as we've often done. So apologies to Mike Waters. We'll get him on here in just a couple of minutes and continue our visit with him. We're in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. The Orange Women home tonight versus Virginia Tech. Tip at 7, Orange pregame right here at 645. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse, talking basketball with Mike Waters, brought to you by Oswego County Mutual Insurance. And our time with Mike is short as he's on his flight back to uh, central New York. So, uh, Michael, thanks for a minute. And uh, as you can imagine, like, you know, after losses, everybody's got solutions. I'm wondering if you've caught any that uh, make any sense to you. I haven't heard about many solutions. I've heard a lot of complaints. Identifying uh, the problems. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's been done. You know, and we, we know some of the problems. The solutions are few because there's just f- so few options right now with this team. Uh, you know, when you're scoring 49 points against Notre Dame, 51 uh, against uh, Georgia Tech last night, 22 in the first half at Pitt. Um, yeah, I just don't know, you know, how the offense gets much better. You can try a lot of things, but short of activating Jerry McNamara and Adrian Autry, I'm not sure what'll work. Yeah, and those guys are shooters, at least in, in GMAC's case. Uh, somebody could fill it up from the outside, and right now you really notice. So nothing comes easily, and nothing really stretches. Right to that, this hasn't been a program typically that throws it into the big guy, at least not of late. Uh, with the recent exceptions being Arinze Onowaku and Rick Jackson. seemed like ev- the first play of every game for Rick Jackson was throw it inside to him. Arinze yeah, not- ran and ran through that, too. And yeah. Yeah, th- throwing it, going into the low post doesn't really help because uh, Pascal and Barama aren't, aren't, aren't going to like make the other team change their defensive Correct. philosophy and, and, and how they're guarding O'Shea, Tyus, and Frank. Uh, I guess maybe th- the one thing I would like to see is Maybe a little bit less standing around, uh, you know, sending Marek to a corner just to stand there and let Tyus and Frank come off a high ball screen because the high ball screen's not working because no one respects the screener. No one's respecting Pascal or, or Barama. I really think they'd benefit with a little bit more player movement, but yeah, boy, even at that, you're not talking an obvious, an obvious fix. No, and I don't recall a time where Syracuse put more players on the floor that it was apparent that the defense didn't have to pay much attention to. They'll sag right off, and, and now you got a problem, as you say. That Then your plays don't really work. Like I, Jim Bayon, he knows plays. He, he can draw up X's and O's. He didn't uh, you know, become right. dumb with that all of a sudden. So the, the, the idea, But they're not really – I thought one of the most telling comments he had from last night's postgame was, look, we don't, we don't run plays to get shots because we're not a shot-making team anyway. They're basically what they're trying to do is get Frank or Pius or even O'Shea uh, with a little bit of room coming off the screen headed to the basket. Best you can hope for, right? The, and then offensive the rebound. The problem with that is is that they have no option to kick it to anybody. <laughs> you don't have an Andy Routens or a Marius Janoulis sitting out on a wing either ready to take and make a three-pointer or forcing his man to stay 20 feet away from the basket creating a driving lane. 
Um, you know, the other teams are getting willing help defense. They will come way off almost everybody on the team in, in order to help if, if a Frank Howard's driving. It, it's really, you know, it's a tough situation. Like, I think maybe, like I said, it, it could be helped a little bit with a little bit less standing around and watching the high ball screen and, and moving some people. Uh, moving does make the defense think and work. Remember, the, you know, the, the, the ones executing defense aren't coaches who know what to do. They're, they're kids who, if you make them move a little bit, they'll make a mistake sometimes. Sure. <laughs> so, um, but uh, I don't know, man. And, and you think about it with Virginia coming up on Saturday, that's a team that plays and hedges the screens better than any other team in the, in the country probably. I always think Virginia is one of these teams that's so disciplined. At least you know where they're going to be and how they're going to play you. and They're going to do it by the book and, and the right way. And uh, it seems to me if you can maybe draw up something that – that provides a driving lane or a shot, uh, it's potentially there for you against Virginia. But nobody's scoring against them. There's no reason to think that uh, Syracuse all of a sudden will click to do it. Now, Syracuse is 61 down in Charlottesville. All, all of a sudden looks pretty good. Sure does. And the idea of, you know, it, it, is that day where it all the stars align where you can do it? They're, they're going to need a game like that somewhere in the second half of the conference season because other teams are getting theirs, right? NC State jumps up to beat Carolina. Virginia Tech beat Carolina. Uh, You know, some of those results, what Florida State lost last night at Wake, you know? So what's going to be the upper division win for Syracuse this year if there is one? I think first and foremost, you look at the home games. Virginia on Saturday is going to be a tough ask, but still it's possible. Virginia doesn't often blow people out. Yeah, you keep them in a low-scoring game, and you, and you hope that you make shots. Carolina comes to the dome. Uh, Carolina's not playing very well. They don't play great defense. Right. It might be the type of game Syracuse, you know, it loosens up a little bit on offense for them, and, and they can beat the Tar Heels. Clemson in the last home game of the regular season. Clemson's having a great year, but how great are they? Um, you and know, Dante Grantham is out, right? Yeah, I don't know. So, you know, that, those would be the first ones you look at. But uh, yeah. it's going to be tough. But Syracuse needs them because you mentioned the other teams in the ACC that are getting theirs. If you talk about bubble teams, teams like SMU, Houston, they're, they're, they're beating Wichita State. Uh, uh, who was it? Well, somebody in the SEC, led Missouri last night, goes on the road yeah. and beats Alabama. Uh, so, you know, those are good quadrant one wins that other teams on the bubble are racking up and Syracuse lacks that right now on their resume I'm not coming around to the quadrant one term I I, uh... I love it <laughs> I've totally adopted it I love quadrant one in fact I have gone so far as to I, I'm now going Q1 and Q2 look at you that that I've seen on the parking passes up on campus but uh as far as uh, it makes it sound like uh, high school math there you're working on little little uh, geometry and and that kind of thing and um the, the whole idea here, Mike, of the distribution of minutes, and, and to me, I, I'm totally with Coach Beheim in terms of you know what other options are there. I did think last night was the first time all season where I felt like – now, I thought Tyus Battle looked tired at Florida State too, but he was getting the job done. I thought last night was the first time I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to carry this whole load. I got two defenders on me. I can't get a shot. And, and I, it just – it took the steam out of any hope that you thought that they may come back to win the game last night. Yeah. And, and, and fatigue isn't just a physical thing. Correct. People can get fatigued mentally. 
and it, it shows up in frustration. And Frank Howard getting a technical foul, Tyus Battle starting to show his visible frustration. You can see it on his face. Not all the time, just maybe after one play where he felt he got fouled and then get the call. So that, that's 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 an area where they, they have to guard against this because it's, it's not just that a player, you know, obviously players can play 40 minutes a game. Can they play 40 minutes a game, game after game after game, and especially when it starts to be a struggle? Right. Uh, you know, so there's a whole bunch of factors go into it. Um, I, I think young kids can play, play a lot of minutes, but... Uh, you know, when the losing is here, the offensive struggles are there, they start to build. And so it's, I think it's going to be a, a, a mental fatigue right now. It's something that the Syracuse players have to guard against. All right, my friend, uh, we appreciate you uh, in the the uh, O.J. Simpson role there on the, the flight on the oh, way back and squeezing in a phone please. call to us. Let's let's come up with a different analogy. Yeah, that wasn't it wasn't real straight. You're already on the plane too, so you're not really running. Uh, but I didn't even have to go with Hoochie Mama and 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 our no, a secret see, word to let you know that word. I had to hang up. <laughs> God God forbid the flight attendant nab you uh, on your mobile device while you're on the phone. But I, I appreciate it. Thank all the people sitting around you uh, for allowing a little uh, time with us today. Okay. They've gotten uh, a, a chance to listen to the the Matt Park show in the booth. That's exciting. I'm sure. I'm sure they're really, they're really warmed by that. Well, I, I appreciate. It. It's better than the safety announcement. I'll give you that. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Matt. We'll see you. That's <laughs> Mike Waters joining us, literally from the plane on his way back to Circus. They're not flying yet, but they're about ready to uh, take off. So we uh, appreciate his time and accommodating us. Brought to you by Oswego County Mutual Insurance. Again, Matthew Moyer went into last night's game, or I'm sorry, uh, Tyus Battle went into last night's game with uh, an average minutes played in conference games of over 40. Uh, that that I don't remember seeing ever before this late in the season and uh, sat uh, just a, a few seconds last night. Uh, still himself put up pretty decent numbers, but took a lot of shots to do it, got to the free throw line, and was effective there. It's just you can sort of see it in his eyes. And to, to Mike's point, I'm in total agreement. I, I'd play these guys uh, 40 minutes every game too. Um I don't think they're necessarily physically tired or won't be able to bounce back, but you can sort of uh, see that the juice isn't always right there when you're going to need a little extra punch near the end of the games, and uh, the Orange continue to be struggling offensively. If, if it were easier going, the minutes, I think, wouldn't feel as burdensome as they appear at this point. All right, timeout now. We'll come back and um, spread it around a little bit with uh, Joe Salzone from around the sports world and Do We Care? Get back to hoops and more before we wrap it up at 3 o'clock today. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM Syracuse. And 100.1 FM Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care. Could LeBron James become a free agent soon? Sources say James might opt out of his contract with the Cavaliers as early as this summer and possibly sign with the Golden State Warriors. Reports say James is currently on the outs with Cavs management and may want to seek work elsewhere. Yeah, uh, I think that that's a very uh, Joe approach uh, to this particular story. <laughs> Uh, could he soon become a free agent? Yes, he'll become a free agent exactly when he can when the uh, season is over. He could opt out of his Cavalier contract. 
he will. Could he sign with the Warriors? He maybe technically could if the stars aligned in a certain way, but that's unlikely. Reports say that James, yeah, he's on the outs with Cavs management. Will he seek to work with another team? It appears so. That was pretty simple. So, so that's, that's pretty much the, the, <laughs> the recap on, on that. Um, you know, that it does kind of stink because one of the cool romantic things about LeBron James is he came and brought a championship and now multiple championships uh, to his hometown, or at least he's been in the finals for all this uh, period, and, and that's fantastic. The next place he goes is going to be just a really great player going to a city on a mission. To You know, it, it'll, it'll feel different as it you know when he went to Miami from Cleveland it's like oh he's just like everybody else he's leaving his hometown or he's ditching the b-level city to go to the glitz and glamour of the big city you know and team up with the supers team and and uh, make it happen which he eventually did and then to his credit he came back and brought a championship to Cleveland too which is very cool um sounds like the Cavaliers are a mess he's very bright he's a uh Outstanding basketball operations man, it seems like, but he's calling the shots there, and if he and Dan Gilbert aren't getting along or if he doesn't feel like they're fielding a team that's competitive and has a chance to win the championship, he's going to go somewhere else where he can. Major League Baseball announcing that all MLB ballparks will have protective netting that will extend to both ends of uh, or the ends of both dugouts by opening day this year, which is, what, about two months away? It is, and it's the key here is that, and remember there was – this happens all the time, but there were a couple of higher-profile issues last year with fans getting hit by balls or bats being thrown or hit into the stands. And so I think a lot of people have the reaction, like, well, what took so long? Because obviously there's been the isolated instance here over time, but last year there were a couple really severe ones, and it just seems like it's enough already and time to do it. Major League Baseball at the time could have unilaterally said, hey, we as a league are forcing you to do this. I'm sure they went around and had to look at the uh, feasibility of actually making it happen uh, in all these stadiums and how it's actually going to be built. But uh, to me, it's a no-brainer. They've done it in Japan for many years this way. It's going to kind of stink. I mean, why would anybody resist? It's because they want to be able to charge top dollar for those best seats and provide a certain experience there. But the fact of the matter is you're going to get over it. Once these things are up, and the nets are there, you're going to feel relaxed in those seats. You're not going to feel like you need to have your glove or stare at it or feel like you can't have your children in the best seats because they don't pay attention. A lot of people don't pay attention. Look at any public setting where there's a lot of people. Look at the mall. Look uh, at the bus station. People are on their phone all the time. At a Major League Baseball game, they're on their phone. They're eating. They're not locked into the action to the point where they can defend themselves against what is a lethal screaming line drive on a free throw or a free throw, a uh, foul ball or an overthrow from the infield or something like that. Uh, so the fact that this is coming in makes sense. I-, I could see it going even further in some cases. There's minor league parks, and this is the the trend in Japan, is my understanding that the netting goes all the way to the foul poles, so it covers even more seats. But uh, this idea of going past the dugout is going to protect a lot of people. And if you want to sit a little further down and take that risk, you're welcome to, and you'll have the unobstructed view. The Nets, by the way, are way better than they've ever been. I tend to think that in most places, unless they screw it up, you're going to forget that this was even a thing. 
And uh, everyone except me has an opinion about the Super Bowl this Sunday, whether or not you're rooting for the Eagles or the Patriots. But people who have asked their Alexa device about who will win have gotten this response. Quote, the team favorite to win is the cough, the cough, excuse me, is the Patriots. That was tough to get out, Alexa says. But I'm flying with the Eagles on this one because of their relentless defense and the momentum that they've been riding on their underdog status, E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. She says cough. She says cough, apparently, like, you know, <coughs> cough. Uh-huh. Um, I can't do an Alexa voice. Okay. I tried. And has Siri been asked for her pick? <laughs> I don't know, but... And the thing, um, <laughs> I do think we have some little common ground here, Joe, something you and I can see eye to eye on. I don't have an opinion on the Super Bowl either. I hope I've got a great view of it with people I want to watch the game with, and I've got great food. And I hope it's a close game. And a- after that, I don't really much care. I've got, you know, I guess friends with either operation or whatever. I would give maybe just the slightest lean to the Patriots, but I'm not going to shed a tear if they lose. And if the Eagles win, you, you tip your cap to them. So I-, I just hope for a good, compelling game that is uh, close late. And if Alexa has her pick, uh, God bless her. I'm actually going to a Super Bowl party this year, which I haven't done in about like that? 15 years. You going to watch the game? You going to be no. in another room? Or no, I'll be, yeah, I'll be eating. Talking the, uh, decomposition? Room. Or just... <laughs> yes. Bring, bring my well, textbooks. Well, actually, yeah, you're going to be off in the just the private room in somebody's house. and That's right. Kind of you're the alternate, alternative <laughs> programming at the house. Exactly. I might do my own play-by-play. Great. Do We Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's, love it for a slice. Quick Super Bowl tip for people, Super Bowl party tip, and I... And I as Brian Higgins will tell you, through one of the worst Super Bowl parties of all time, and uh, I'm happy to admit it because it's kind of funny. But uh, here's a must: you're gonna have the game on, have the radio on in places where you can't see the game, so that if you it, let's say you put the food in one room and the game's somewhere else, or the bathroom, have the radio on in there. People can uh, then not miss anything if they're making trips around the house. I have to ask, what was so bad about your uh, it, well, Super Bowl It takes party? a little time. Maybe we'll get into it on tomorrow's show. All right. The party itself was fine. It was just, just there's only a couple of us. It was a limited uh, engagement. I have a small place, but it was Chris Gedney and Brian Higgins and myself watched a great Super Bowl game. It went a little awry, but I think we had chili, and uh, Brian's a good cook. He probably brought something. I don't remember. It was many years ago. But uh, so the party itself was fine. It was the watching of the game that got a little followed up. I'm, I'm looking. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, yeah. anxious about what the story is now. Yeah, we can, uh, we can get into that. I have to guarantee I'll be here tomorrow. Maybe, maybe we'll get into it after this break. <laughs> We're actually going to talk about watching television uh, coming up after the commercial. I've got a couple of recommendations for you for your viewing pleasure tonight. I know you're kind of a homebody and a recluse, Joe. Mm-hmm. So a yes. couple of recommendations for you to uh, check out tonight while you're I see, keeping uh, an ear on the Jim Behan show. I see one of the lists you have, and I'll, I will yeah. I will have to tune in for that. Yes, you will. Okay, back with that as we continue in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Sunday, the Eagles face the Patriots in Super Bowl 52. Westwood One's coverage of the Super Bowl starts at 3 o'clock on ESPN Syracuse and is brought to you by Burdick Lexus at Driver's Village in Cicero. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. I appreciate Seth pointing that out on the promo. The Eagles play the Patriots in the Super Bowl on Sunday. That's great. Appreciate that back background information. My enjoyment of the Super Bowl just went up now that I know the teams that are playing. We thank uh, Seth for that. That'd be a great, um, it's not really our shtick there, Joe, but uh, you know, 
radio guy gag? Like, do you want to go out on the street and just see if you the next ten random people you can find? Do you think one of them doesn't know which teams are in the Super Bowl? You know, we, we can try that tomorrow. Paulie should be back, so I can go out there with my phone and ask ten people. Doing unofficial I actually, tally. In a, honestly, honestly, I think if the first you the first ten people, if you just went out here and stood on the corner, yeah, first ten people you came across. I'll bet you could find four that don't know the two teams playing in the Super Bowl. The nice thing is, if I go out there, I might actually make a few bucks. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people doing that out there too. You'd have to learn the the tricks of the trade and the real estate. There's kind of a you know right across the way here. There's a you know fashion emporium yes. type you know outfit. Yeah. I if, depending on where you stood, that would be sort of tilting the pole a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I'll bet. As much as I would uh, hate to admit, there's probably more people than I would care to admit that uh, don't know who's playing in the Super Bowl. Because for as high as it rates every year, there's still a lot of people that aren't watching. Yeah, you know, or haven't come a- across it, or it's not their thing. Hell, there are people you know, out there who probably don't even know what year we're in right now. Uh, I don't know about that. Now you're getting to the deranged. We don't, we don't need to do that. <laughs> there's probably some. You're probably right, especially if you go out this this yes. window here, out back toward the. <laughs> Out under the bridge there is a little scary. Uh, I am going to help you, though, with some uh, your entertainment pleasure here tonight. There's a lot of things going on. We've got the American Jim Beheim show over at Shaughnessy's. We'll be there 7 to 8 on the network, 8 until 9 for those of you listening locally here in central New York, talking ball with Coach. And you can chime in. You can stop by and uh, look ahead to the Virginia and Louisville games, look back at a three-game winning streak and last night's loss at uh, Georgia Tech. That's all coming up tonight, 7 o'clock on TK99 and at Shaughnessy's in the Marriott Syracuse downtown. Syracuse women are unbeaten at home. They play Virginia Tech tonight. They're favored, certainly, in that one uh, for a 7 o'clock start. You can watch that game on ACC Network Extra, the Watch ESPN app, or listen to it right here on ESPN 97.7. The game on Sunday, same deal, 1 o'clock start against uh, Louisville, a team that uh, was in the top, uh, was number two for a large part of the season. They've just fallen off of that, but uh, it'll be the biggest challenge at home all season for the Orange women. That's uh, Sunday at 1, and uh, hopefully a good crowd can get there to enjoy that prior to the uh, Super Bowl festivities. So looking forward to those two things. Good TV tonight. The much-anticipated, highly publicized Two Bills. The Two Bills is the name of the 30 for 30 Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick. Their first on-camera interview together since 1991. Back in the Super Bowl season for the Giants, that they had their relationship on ice, and apparently now at least can be in the same room together and can do an interview. So that's uh, just loaded with uh, potential interest there. Two outstanding football minds that uh, you know Belichick learned at the right hand of Parcells, and now Belichick is thought maybe to be the best ever in the game, and he's going into the Super Bowl uh, again this weekend. So uh, really looking forward to that. ESPN 30 for 30, those are all good. And one more for you, Joe, and you might think it's a little weird, but you're weird, so you don't have the (laughs) the right to do that. Darts on television. Uh I'm telling you right now, you got to check out. I I will. So tonight is the debut of Thursday Night Darts on BBC America. It's a bunch of bloody wankers. It's a bunch of, it's like bowling meets golf meets WWE meets boxing they've got ring entrances they've got nicknames they've got like the michael buffer guy the announcement they got the the pretty girls that stand up at the thing you know the whole thing and then these guys are really good 
if you've ever seen uh, people play darts in a bar, right. it, it can get very competitive. But nowhere near what these guys are. It, it, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. You see people play darts in a bar, like down here yeah. at Armory Square, yep. and they're playing cricket like everybody plays, right. and it goes like round 15, round 16. Yeah. Round, oh, gee, I can't get it. I, <laughs> I, need, a, I need a single 17. And I, right? Yes. Forget about it. These guys go out there, triple 20, triple 20, triple 20. Yeah. Bang. That's how they all start. That's called a 180. Then everybody in the arena throws up the big 180 placards and they get whooping up and uh, it is a uh, spirited environment. But th- these guys live to play darts, so you can imagine how much time they've spent doing it and in bars and uh, crazy Euros doing it. But uh, it is uh, good television, I'm he- here to tell you. So it's worth your while to check it. BBC America, uh, I came across it accidentally. I was doing some research on the uh, Watch ESPN or ESPN3. They had darts on there. Polly and I watched a little bit of it uh, together. But uh, I'm here to tell you that darts is good TV. And uh, I don't know if I'll be watching it live tonight, but I will catch some now that they're making this push. I might have to go out of my way to catch it because I'll be here tonight anyway. So I may as well uh, watch it. I think I would love to do play-by-play for it. For darts? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, it's a good – you can watch the play-by-play guys there. You can learn to craft your dart game-calling style. You know, lay out. When a guy hits a 180, you don't need to say anything. The, the, the crowd will right. take care of it from there. It's a heck of a job. Yeah, really is. Maybe maybe it might be a secondary career for me across the pond. I don't know that American darts is going to catch on, but uh, you never know. All right, back tomorrow. We'll talk uh, Super Bowl with Andrew Siciliano. We'll talk Virginia with our counterpart there, Dave Kane. Thanks to Joe, Jude out in the uh, bullpen out there, and for all of you for listening and calling. We've been in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.